Welcome to Willoughby Hills. I'm Heath Rosella. Glad you're here. Welcome. This is episode 112 of my podcast. And I got a special treat today. Kim John Payne is my guest. Kim is an educational consultant. He's an author. His most famous work is called Simplicity Parenting, Using the Extraordinary Power of Less to Raise Calmer, Happier, and More Secure Kids. He also hosts the Simplicity Parenting Podcast. I've started listening to it recently, and i got to tell you, I'm a big fan. Uh, They are 10, 12-minute episodes that help parents be more mindful in this modern world and think about all the things I talk about on this show, really, consumption, screen time. How much are we interacting with other people? How much are we interacting with nature versus how much are we devoting to consumption, to stuff, to screens, to all of that? And Kim's basic philosophy is that the simpler that we can make our life, the happier our entire family becomes, our kids, us as parents, all of it. And this is a theme I've talked about before on this podcast. I had Sarah Suzanka here to talk about the not-so-big house and the not-so-big life. Talked to Nick Offerman about bringing the ideas of Wendell Berry to bear in our daily life. What does that actually look like? How do you live a Wendell Berry life when you're here in the middle of, you know, modern 2023? So Kim navigates a lot of that, especially as it relates to children. Some of the things are getting less toys in their life, taking away choices, We think that we want to buy our kids everything in the toy aisle and just crowd their room with lots and lots of toys, but they're actually going to be happier if they have fewer toys that do less. He talks about toys that have fixed characteristics, you know, a a laptop toy that you have to hit a button a certain way and it lights up and it only does one thing versus a toy that you can use your imagination with. And my kids were flipping through a toy catalog that came, you know, it's getting to be Christmas time here soon. And. They were looking through this toy catalog and there was a page with just beautiful, simple blocks. And my wife and I both just had this visceral reaction of like, oh, that's the toy we want. And I don't mean for our kids. I mean, like for us, like we want to take these blocks and build with them, build castles and bridges. And, you know, there were curved blocks and rounded blocks and rectangular blocks. They were just, it was a beautiful set. And I was like, oh, that's Kim John Payne. That's it right there. The more that you can put your imagination into things, the more longevity it has. That's more sustainable for our imaginations, for our creativity. It's also, by the way, more sustainable for the planet. If I can buy one set of wooden blocks for my daughter when she's three years old, let's say, and then pass that on to my son, and it can get played with until they're, I don't know, 10, 12 years old, who knows? Way better than some plastic toy that's going to, you know, get thrown away or disused after a year, six months, whatever it is. So simplifying the toys, simplifying food, having less choices when it comes to food, less junk food, less processed food. This is stuff that I've talked about on the podcast as well. You know, my wife and I are part of a local CSA and we get vegetables fresh in season from these local farms. When you go to the farm, you get what they picked in the fields. You don't get every single option. When I go to the grocery store and I just look at all the produce from around the world, you know, apples in February or strawberries in September or whatever it is, it's like, huh, that's not right. I want to have my strawberries in June when they're being picked right here and I get three, four, five weeks to enjoy them and then that's it. That fleetingness makes it more special. And so the less choice we have, 
the happier we can be. And simplicity parenting is also about establishing a rhythm to your day. What time do you wake up? What time do you eat dinner? What time do you go to bed? Having a ritual to all that stuff, having different repeatable things associated with all of that. Then stripping away all the other stuff, not just physical stuff, but what are the things that are taking away our time? Music lessons, sports, whatever it is. Kim John Payne talks about that in his book, that uh, there are things that are appropriate for you know a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 15-year-old that probably aren't appropriate for a six-year-old. Should a six-year-old be on a traveling soccer team? Probably not. Do they need to be playing soccer three days a week? Probably not. Unless you think your kid is going to the Olympics, and most of them are not, the sports are supposed to be there for enjoyment and not to put pressure on everybody. So the more that you strip that stuff out, the happier you get. That's kind of the through line of today's conversation, and it's what Kim John Payne's work is all about. I also wanted to talk to him about another program he has, Integrative Student Support. We get to that towards the end of the show. But if you have a kid who acts a certain way that might be quirky or might be unique, is that a diagnosable problem? Or in Kim's experience, is it something that through simplicity can be cured? It's worth listening to. He's got, uh, he's got a lot of data to back it up, a lot of case studies, a lot of research that says, you know what? This pace of our modern world isn't working. Let's cut out screen time. Let's reduce the amount of toys, the amount of clothes, the amount of food, all of it that we have. Let's get to simple A, B choices instead of A, B, C, all the way down through Z. Do you need 26 choices for dinner? Kim John Payne says no. So great conversation. I'm happy you're here for it. We will get to it in just a minute. Before we do, I've got to tell you, if you enjoy this show, I think you'd like my newsletter as well. If you're not already on the list, please go to heathrasala.com slash newsletter. You can sign up for free there, and uh, you get a newsletter every Wednesday and every Sunday in your inbox, as well as every single podcast episode will get delivered right to you. And if you want to upgrade your membership, you can do that as well. It helps support the work that I do here. It helps support the podcast and uh, all of that work and the newsletter. And you also get early access to the podcast before anybody else. So heathrasala.com slash newsletter. Go and check that out. Here it is my conversation with Kim John Payne. So I guess I want to start with just kind of a big picture view. Like as I see the world right now, we're in an era where capitalism, marketing, they're kind of designed to make us feel insufficient as people. That like the more we consume, the better we're supposed to feel about ourselves. At least that's kind of the messaging that's out there. Um, Your approach is kind of the opposite of that and saying, well, hold on. We need a lot less, actually. Like, can you kind of explain, I guess, just what your kind of whole ethos is about? It's lo- it's lovely to talk to you, and it's lovely to hear that framing of things, Heath. Yeah, you know, it's it's summarized in in the power of less, right? The way I guess I've come a- around to this is that the place where our values not only live for ourselves but live through generations mm. into the future but the values that we've absorbed from the past all co- kind of coalesce, particularly when we become a mummy or a daddy. Yeah, sure. It's There's no time in our life when you, when you, you know, like it, when you hold this little 
baby in your arms and you just think, oh my goodness. Yeah. Here is this little thing so vulnerable, so depending on us. And, you know, there's these words that many parents have of, may I be worthy. Yeah, right. And that all comes funneling into our values. Our our values are, are most front and center uh, with our children, because as they grow up, they simply push on it. They demand, yeah, and they push on it to say, "Is that strong? Is that a strong stance? Are you standing on firm ground right. when you say I can't have an iPad and everyone else does, and I'm six years old and it's why not? Is that firm, or or, or regardless of what it is?" We almost are uh, almost catalyzed into holding values. And often that kind of ethical stance that we have in the past, in the, um, for anyone, I guess, between 40, 35, 60, in and around there, who grew up in that, that generation or two, it was a time of relative give or take. Where there was a lot, yeah, you know, we we didn't really realize the Earth's resources were finite, right? We, we didn't. I don't recall growing up. I don't know if you do, Heath. Where I was concerned as a kid that I was damaging the planet, you know, in in what we were doing, and that that just wasn't a reality. And so, going simple is also going light on the planet but deep within ourselves. You go light and deep at the same time. Externally, out there in the world, your footprint, not just the carbon footprint, but your footprint is lighter because you just don't need as much stuff. There's this challenge to, you know, do I really need this amount of stuff? And not just stuff, but do I really need this amount of clubs and, and you know, and like soccer on Monday and ballet on Tuesday and soccer on Thursday and piano lessons on Friday and psychotherapy on Saturday to cope with it all. Yeah. Is that needed? Because that's also, I think of that as stuff as well. Right. And I think of screens as stuff. It's someone else's creativity. Mm. It's not our children's, it's someone else's that our children are passively just absorbing. There's this passivity in absorption, yeah, which kind of worries me a bit about a lot of contemporary life that our kids are growing up in, is just simply sitting and being fed in, in all kinds of ways, not just with food, but sure. in a sensory sense, being served. And so um, that's a kind of a long answer, but that's your fault because it was a really good first question. <laughs> and, and there's a lot to react to in that too. I mean, I I want to um, I want to answer some of the questions you brought up and just observe some things I heard in that too. I guess you asked about sort of my childhood and thinking about Earth consciousness and things. Um, so I was born in 1984, so grew up like through the early 90s were my elementary years. And at that time, there was a beginning awareness, I think, of we learned about the rainforest or the ozone layer or things like that, but they were always removed. There was never a sense that, you know, the housing development that was replacing a farm in our community was tied in any way to the problems happening, you know, somewhere else. It was always, well, it's Brazil's problem. It's not, you know, our neighborhood's problem. So 
there was a growing awareness, but I think, yes, very much. I grew up in, in that same pattern of consumption that kind of started in, you know, the post-war era here in the States and, and continued really until very recently and still continues for a lot of people, I guess. But I also wanted to react to just, I love how you frame that of kind of placing yourself on this generational spectrum of thinking to the past and to the future when you have kids. And the lessons that I think about the most as a parent are thinking of my grandparents, my grandmother in particular, growing up on a farm in in rural Michigan where she didn't have indoor plumbing, she didn't have electricity for most of her childhood, and kind of romanticizing that and longing for that in a way. And like a lot of the things that I found myself doing as a parent and as an adult, I feel like are conscious reactions to what I imagine her childhood was or what I imagine the stories of her childhood are. And so it's just interesting to think that like, what are the lessons I want to take from the past? And then how do I carry those into the future with, with the next generation? That's, that's a really interesting way to put it. It's, it's interesting, Heath, that you bring this up, that you follow this up because much of, I think we've got, we've almost sort of like got to not just peak oil, but peak stress, peak sure. overload. Yeah, our, our nervous systems are just not coping, and the huge rise in mental health issues—we're we're not coping. And this peak overload that we've got to bring up—it offers us, on one hand, we could, as you say, romanticize about our grandparents' days. Sure, but at least you have a template. You know, you have a you have an idea of life does not have to be lived in this way. But there are decision points to make. And I personally love the times we live in. I, I just love living now because it's it's a time where we actually don't have to do what was done in the past. Yeah. In terms of, you know, us as parents, as you and me as dads, Heath, you know, like we're free. We don't have to raise our kids because our father was raised that way, our grandfather, our great grandfather, or great grandmother. We're free to make decisions now. So on one hand, we're kind of bereft. It's a little bit like, oh my goodness, it would have been so much easier yeah. just to say because that is how it's done. Right. But another way, it's it's great to be free of that. It leaves us free of all that old stuff. But here comes the hard part. We then have to create conscious community. It's not just communities that we're born into. Right. Conscious communities. And they can be global, right? They're not just local, but also conscious value formation. We're free of all that stuff to a greater extent than many other generations have been in. Right. Just having to do things because that's the way you do it. That's why the simplicity movement is, I think, tapping into a kind of a very basic question of something is not okay. Yeah. Something is not okay about this. This is just too much, too fast, too sexy, too young. It's just too much for our kids. Yeah. We didn't have to grow up like this, so why should they? And that's more of a gut instinct because our head brain, our cognition, our cognitive brain says, well, no, everyone's living like this. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Every Everyone's doing it, so it's got to be okay. But then our gut brain says, no, no, yeah. no, it's not. And that's the wonderful thing is that as parents, we'll trust our gut brain over our head brain if we give it a chance. Yeah. And that's where the simplicity parenting movement, many, many people over the years have said to me, it gives space 
to the instinct that I had anyway. Because the simplicity parenting movement, I mean, this it's kind of weird because it, it doesn't tell you, unlike a lot of parenting books, it tells you to do all this stuff. And the, the simplicity parenting movement doesn't tell you to do a single thing. It, in fact, it tells you to do less. Right. Yeah. Take things out of your life. Take stuff out of your home. To, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But we're free. We're, we're at a decision point now. It's why um, I really admire parents who are making conscious decisions around screens and screen yeah. time for their kids, because there's, that is going to define the child's brain development. I mean, it's no greater, no lesser than that defines how your child will develop and myelinate their brain, right? Yeah. And I think it snuck up on us, and, and a, there was a lot of acceptance that this is just normal but so many people now are seeing the addictive nature of it, are seeing how it impairs social, emotional, and brain development, and are saying, we need to gather information from a number of different perspectives, and we need to make a decision. And I so admire parents doing this by the tens and hundreds of thousands Parents are seeing this as a conscious decision point rather than just saying, well, everyone's doing it because everyone was smoking. Like everyone has done yeah. a lot of things, right? Sure. It doesn't make it even vaguely right. And so many parents are now asking these, these kinds of questions. Another example is, you know, I'm going to question the amount of after-school clubs, extracurricular stuff summer camps and high-pressure academics. I'm going to question this because there's a growing body of evidence that super-stressing kids out actually lowers their performance socially, right. academically, emotionally. And so there's thoughts now, and it, the rubber hits the road of this really practically when the party invitation comes in, right? Because it's like, you know, party invitations for nine-year-olds are like black market currency. I mean, they're valuable. <laughs> yeah. And do you look at your partner and say, do you know what? We've had a really busy couple of days. We've got grandparents visiting next week. I think we need to go on the down low for at least three or four days Yeah, because it's going to be busy when my unrelenting gifting in-laws arrive, <laughs> bringing <laughs> all this clutter all over again. Yeah. So that's, that's another decision point. And I think that's that's the thing that's defining modern parenting is that we get to choose. Yeah. I mean, it it is tough, though, going back to screen time, especially for a minute. I mean, like I think about even just the communication we had leading up to this interview, that it was all by email. We're talking to each other remotely now. After we do this, I'm going to edit it on a computer, you know, like so much of the adult world is tied up in technology now and our communication, the way we relate to each other. I mean, our phones are our credit cards now. <laughs> like, you can't leave the house without a phone, not just because of a communications tool, but it it's becomes everything, you know? You touch on this in the book, I think, that, like, kids who don't have that catch up. I think that's the big fear for parents, right, is that, oh, they're they're entering this world of technology. But when you limit it, kids can pick it up when the time's appropriate, right? Very, very fast. There have been studies done into this where kids have gone from... Uh, no contact with the computer yeah. to being uh, computer savvy, able to operate within six weeks, just, and that's just <laughs> wow. a couple of hours a day. 
And if you continue on within six months, they're programming. So there's no, this thing about, you know, we've got to get this early is not exactly factually accurate because the computers, I mean, two, I think it was two clicks today, Heath, and I'm talking to you. Right. And and it was a big button jumping out at me. Yeah. And all I had to do was click on it. It's not exactly super intelligent, and right. you know, it's it's made to be so so user friendly. For me, you know, there and I'm not anti-screen. I taught information technology for twelve years in my high school. I'm not, you know, anti-screen. Being anti anything is always a bit tricky. Um, sure. But I'm passionately pro human connection. Really not only to humans, but connection to nature. I think of it as slightly in the terms of concentric circles. So, you know, there's these four circles. Like, I want I want kids to be really connected to nature. Yeah. And then inside that circle, I want them to be connected to friends, not just friending, but yeah. truly where a lot of emotional intelligence is established. And emotional intelligence is such a marker for future success. Sure. So kids work it out in their play. Um, they can't, if someone dissatisfies them, they can't just unfriend them, click. Right. They have to work it out there in the moment, sure. And then within that circle, the third circle in is deep connection to family, mm-hmm. real having time to be with family. And then within all that is this core of connection to self. My values and what I stand yeah. for, not what the screen is telling me I need to be in order to be the perfect body shape, right. the, 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 per, the perfect, you know, to to be this perfect being. And I think you put the self at the middle there, in in the middle of those concentric circles, because all those other pieces inform that too. Like you learn about yourself through your family, through your friends, through nature, right? Oh yes, that's a that's a beautiful way to put it, actually, Heath. Um, thank you. And you know, all those things take time. Yeah. If you think about time in nature, time with friends, we even have that saying, family time. You know, give yourself time. We it's it's in our vernacular. Right. Um, yet the average American twelve-year-old is exposed to nine and a quarter hours of screens per day. Not yeah. per per day. Wow. So. Anything that that takes away from those essential time, be able to spend time in that way, for me is a um, an erosion of the things that are really important. Yeah, and I guess the other thing about screens is that I see screens. The differentiation has gotten blurred a little bit. I see screens as essentially as a tool, but not as a toy. Mm. Um, and this is the hard part. And I work with, I still, you know, of course, have a family parent counseling practice. And I see many, many parents every week. Yeah, They're really, really struggling once their kids get on screens because of the, because of the um, apps and the games and the antisocial networking is all aimed at dopamine. I mean, yeah. it's, no, it's no accident. It's aimed at well, we've known about pleasure and reward. This is the addiction, you know, neurotransmitter. We're, sure. we've, we've known about pleasure and reward for a long time. So the makers of the games were onto this. They studied the, the data very carefully on addiction and then designed a game to be addictive. 
I mean, it's, it's not an accident. But the thing that's not often spoken about is that dopamine and its release describes, in a sense, why kids react so strongly when we try to turn the screen off. Yeah. Because dopamine is also very primitive. It acts in a very primitive way in a child's neurological system because it says, look, as long as you're bathed in me, dopamine, you have enough food, you have enough shelter, you have enough water, you are safe from scary stuff. Yeah. You're just, it's so pleasurable, so rewarding, because you can't have pleasure if there's a beastie, you know, about to pounce. Sure. Okay, so you are safe as long as you're using me. And then, Heath, along comes daddy, along comes, you know, mummy, daddy, you, and you say, okay, turn off the screen now, your half an hour is over. Yeah. And there are children that just go, really go ballistic at that point, or just turn into grumpy little gnomes. You know, they just, they, they get really grumpy. And re But we're not, we're not just the digital police anymore. By, t by dopamine standards, we're actually a digital predator. We've mm -hmm. become a predator because we're now taking away that which is safe. So mm -hmm. as parents... Every every cell in our bodies wants to have us protect our kids and be keep them secure. Sure. And, and yet, when we turn off the screen, we're being perceived as exactly the opposite to that. And it's heartbreaking to hear how many parents are are, are really losing connection with their kids. And one more thing, if I may, because sure, you mentioned screens again. I, I went to a conference a little while ago. Uh, um, it, this is a very prestigious marketing con conference to children because I wanted to go embedded. I wanted to go undercover. And for yeah. years, I've been rejected from this conference <laughs> because it's part of like they'd only have to go online and see me on, you know, Good Morning America or one of those shows being rude about, well, them. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, uh, Right, so I got rejected. Anyway, during COVID, they mustn't have been checking because I got in. I got into the conference. <laughs> okay. So it was worth the very expensive ticket to get in because of two words. I'll tell you about these two words. But there were, you know, all the motor companies because they know you, you, if you get brand recognition by two, you have brand loyalty by five, which translates out when we're in our 30s and have disposable income we will buy that that thing that we connected with when we were two sure this is mcdonald's happy meals or this you know, that kind of thing very sure. well known yeah. yeah yeah but there were the clothes designers of course the game gamers the game designers and so on the programmers and there they all were and i followed where everyone was going and hundreds and hundreds of people by far the largest group went to a workshop called case studies in the successful removal of purchasing friction. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's interesting. Went along there, and it was the third in the series. I'd missed the first two, but the third in the series of case studies. But here's the thing, Heath, is that I wondered what purchasing friction was, and then slowly I realized that we have a new term, we have a new name as parents. Marketers don't really call us parents all that much. They call us purchasing friction. Wow. Yeah. And we spend $16 billion a year alone in this country, in the United States, 
to remove us, yeah, to remove our values from our children's lives so our children will be vulnerable to their marketing messages and buy their stuff. Wow. And the genius of this is they've got us to spend, you know, a thousand dollars to put and, and we actually literally buy the the weapon of mass family dislocation and we actually put it in our kids' hands and we pay for it and we pay monthly fees yeah. to disrupt our family life. Yeah. It's kind of genius. They don't have to right. pay it. Yeah. I mean it's when you put it in those terms, it's it's heartbreaking. And I, I guess I want to start looking at some of the solutions. I mean one of the things that you talk about is just reclaiming time around the dinner table and the ritual of that becomes so important from a connection standpoint, from a dietary standpoint. There are kind of all of these benefits from the simple act of taking 20 minutes, a half hour, and all sitting down together and, and deliberately sharing a meal. Yeah. You know, meals are an essential time where we can more and more parents are, are, are literally switching off the devices, not just putting them aside, but yeah. no notifications, no buzzing, no nothing, just switch it all off. Yeah. And spending that 20, 30 minutes at the dinner table, and they're using it as a point of connection. And it's just, it's so great. You know, the yeah. kids' stories come out. You just, here we are, you know, here we are together. But the dinner time is one crucial part of a larger, what I see is incredibly helpful for parents is when they have ry rhythm and predictability in the family's life. Yeah. See, little kids particularly, but even through into the tween and teens, but little ones very strongly up until eight or nine and then beyond. They don't have much in the way of executive function in their, in their brain. They're then the neocortex, the frontal lobes are, of course, operated, but at a very modest level. Yeah. So there's not a lot. It's like this why a little child can ask, like a four-year-old can ask in midsummer in the swimming pool, will Santa be coming soon? <laughs> yeah. You know, sure. um, they, they just don't. Oh, it's so lovely, but they just don't have that bigger picture. Neither do, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-olds just witness how hard it is for them to get their homework in on time. Yeah. This is, a, this is something that comes in our early 20s. And so when we have rhythm in the home, what we do is that we build, it's almost like an external scaffolding so that our children, tween ages and teenagers, can chart the passing of the day. They know that this is how we get up. We get up at this time on, on the weekday. We get up at this yeah. time on the weekend. We, um, like little children, know that, okay, we get up. We Maybe my daddy sings that funny little morning song that he sings. <laughs> and whatever it is, you know, he gives my back a little bit of a rub and a good morning and a stroke of the hair. He does it every morning. And then I hop off to the bathroom and we go together and we sit together and look out the window and then we go downstairs and I sit here and this is my stool and this is where all that, I, I think of those as the big and little rhythms. The big rhythms are the big wins, like that's yeah. the clock time. But the little rhythms, the micro rhythms, the little rituals are the little hows, how we do something, how we have our meals, how we have our bath time, how, 
you know, whatever it is um, with older ones and when they come home from school, how all that goes, what are the little steps? You see, when we do that, we're balancing the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems. So the sympathetic nervous system is all about intake, right? It's all about intake, it's stimulation, it's arousal, it's response. That's the sympathetic nervous system. And we don't need to worry too much about that for most kids these days because they because life is providing that. Yeah. What life is not providing is the parasympathetic. It's the calming, the soothing, the emotionally digesting the day, the decompression points. And that's what the Simplicity Parenting Movement has discovered it is all about. And we get feedback from all different continents. Like we have 1,200 coaches all around the world in all wow. these different continents, right? So it's yeah. cross-cultural feedback. It's the rhythms that actually bring the parasympathetic. This, again, the sympathetic will take care of itself. School days are busy. Weekends yeah. can be busy. It's busy, busy, busy. What doesn't take care of itself is the soothing, the calming. I'll give one real practical example. There was a mum who on her written calendar, she had a calendar up on the wall. She had a husband uh, that was a real go-getter, loved to do things with the kids. So she, she, they did a deal. They would have S days, which were stimulating days. But if there was an S day, she would get a C day the next day. And then there were some days when he would take them to like big ball games and so on. That was like a double S. Yeah. So she would get a double C. And hopefully they would get an S and a C in a balanced day. And as time went on, they found themselves just growing that, it's almost like an intuition, that muscle yeah. that balanced their kids' days. Now their kids went from one child as really struggling uh, was actually struggling at school to the point where they, they were not able to continue, uh, were expelled from school. Mm. Um, there was another child who's, who was having all kinds of other emotional issues as well. Now, I'm not claiming that rhythm was entirely, the, the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic balance was entirely the issue. I think pa- the, the two parents getting it together to decide to do something was huge as well. Yeah, Those kids, um, within a couple of months, they were back. They were they were fine. They were doing yeah. well. They were, but he was back in school. It's one boy in a new school, but back in school, much much less. Um, well, it was like amygdala hijack. It was like yeah. everything was fight or flight, and he was he was just overwhelmed. And so, when a teacher would tell him to do something and say we're going to do this, he would go into fight. His reaction was fight less that flight, yeah. and he was a so called behavioral issue. When the amygdala, the ancient reptilian brain, could just calm on down, the parasympathetic brain, a nervous system, was able to soothe. Right. Then he was ready to learn, and his grade levels jumped by a, a grade and a half in wow. it, it, within months, yeah. four months, actually. Wow. So we're doing this stuff to our kids on one hand, but on another, there's a lot of really simple, doable solutions. We don't have to move to Mongolia, you know. Right. Like, actually, I was in Mongolia four years ago. Don't bother; it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> they got the same questions as you and me. How funny! I mean, I think when I think about establishing rhythm, I mean, I tell you, for my own kids, we worked with them maybe two years ago now and wrote out a schedule with each of them for their morning routine because I sort of knew 
what all those those points were. Okay, you have to get dressed, you have to eat breakfast, you have to brush your teeth. But sometimes they didn't always anticipate that. And by working with them and, and having a schedule and posting it, they just do it automatically now. And, you know, sometimes a gentle reminder, hey, it's 720. Oh, yeah, I got to brush my teeth. But like having that rhythm helps. And the other piece I think that I'm thinking about is just when it comes to music, even like we rely on on a certain rhythm and a certain predictability. I think the songs that we react to, whether it's a country song or a rock song or a rap song, like it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. And that that's predictable when you when you hear you know a jazz song or an experimental song where it's a five four time signature then a four four then a three four and you can't quite get the beat you can't quite latch onto it but you hear verse chorus verse chorus bridge and you go oh i like that song like it, it, you described it as scaffolding i think and that's that's a great way to think about just the rhythm of our day and- yeah i was listening to a, a compilation um of sunday morning relaxing songs actually he did yeah. Um, this weekend, none of them were, you know, unpredictable. They were yeah. all these really soothing, predictable songs. And it's when, you see, as kids grow up, they'll then start to develop their own scaffolding, their own, and they'll build it from the inside. It reminds me, like, to mix my metaphors of a rocket launcher, we we put the the scaffolding up, the, 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 the stays of rhythm. Yeah. But, you know, when the kids get to their early 20s, they fall away and the rocket takes off. Yeah, That's very, very much what we want. We don't want... See, a lot of people say, uh, in the past, I'd hear this a lot, you know, we don't want routine, boring routine. We're a creative family, you know, yeah. a.k.a. chaos. And, the, um, and, and you see, what rhythm does is that it provides also leadership. Because yeah. it's not going to happen on its own. So you doing that in the mornings, Heath, you know, like that didn't happen magically. You yeah. created it. You stepped into a leadership role and helped the kids do that. And then things, it's almost like a slipstream develops. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. Because if we don't do that, then our kids start to feel, they start to feel like no one's in charge. Mm-hmm. And that they've got to make it up, and it's and the morning times look like a scene from Lord of the Flies. You know, yeah. it's 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 like they are they are stepping in because there's a leadership vacuum, and and the primitive brain, when it senses a leadership vacuum, will act, and then the kids take over. Right. So one of the things I've noticed over the years is that when see I wrote this simplicity parenting book, gosh, I began that back in two thousand seven-ish. And then on the 10th anniversary of it, uh, the editors at Random House, uh, my editor contacted me and said, you know, this is one of our sort of mainstay books and so on and so on. Would you do a second edition? And I jumped at the opportunity even because the first edition was still talking about Blackberries in terms of technology, right? Sure. So I got to rewrite and and really do that. But I also got to, to, you know, just a multitude of feedback from all around the world, cross-cultural feedback, uh, cross-layered feedback of socioeconomic strata, because this is way not just a middle class or an upper class or a lower class. This is nothing to do with that. Yeah. It's got to do with values. One of the things I got to do in this second edition is I got to really pause, you know, and, and, and re- I rewrote the entire book. And 
the value of, of leadership, of being able to step into that leadership role, has become more and more and more important. And it's not cold, boring routine. It's warm, connecting, leader-imbued rhythm. Yeah. And and some parents have said to me, well, we didn't like that routine stuff because, you know, we hated it when we were kids. And I'd say, yeah, I, I get it. Oh, boy, do I ever get it. I, I know. I grew up a little bit like, um, no, this is warm. This is connecting. It's fun. It's it's where the relational bridges are built between uh, a parent and a child. Yeah. yeah. So it's really, and particularly when there's $16 billion a year being spent <laughs> on removing us from our kids' lives, we've got to stay close. And I don't mean helicopter close. Yeah. I mean heart close. It's right. different. I, against that, I guess, there are parents that are going to opt into this and say, yes, everything you're saying, Kim, is perfect, and, and this is what I want for my family. There's still the reality of, of grandparents or aunts and uncles or you know other people that are going to bring things into the home, whether that's presents, toys, food, whatever it is, that are contrary to your values as a family. What's your advice for people navigating those relationships and, I guess, having sometimes those difficult conversations with relatives or yeah. maybe just accepting it and then quietly <laughs> donating it later? I don't know. Like, what's... What's the best approach for well, well-intentioned relatives? Yeah, you can say to your dad or your mom, look, dad, you, you raised me to be a dad of values, a mom of values. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that. And these are actually my values, so it's your fault. You know, um, <laughs> you know that's one way of dealing with it. Um, I, do you remember back in the early, was it the early 2000s, this, the book, uh, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that really struck me from that book was that he said a very uh, highly effective person differentiates between their circle of concern, which is quite large often, and mm. their circle of control, which is much smaller. So the circle of of concern is like a big beach ball. The circle of concern of control is like a like a golf ball. It's a little yeah. one. Right. Operating within our circle of control, what can we do about? And it's not just extended family; it's play dates as well, right? You sure. know, where a child goes outside the home, and to some extent, it's within our control if there's a particularly troubling environment. Let's say it's a, it's an environment where little kids are playing, like you know, I'll, I'll be extreme about it, like nine year olds playing Fortnite, you know, yeah. like like playing really shoot up video games, and that happens to not jibe with you. It might yeah. be okay, but not many people would be okay with that. Oh, let's just take that as an example. Well, you might want to actually have those kids because they're probably good kids. They can't help it that their parents have opened these doors. Uh, prematurely, I don't know that shooting people on the screen is ever a great idea, but anyway, um, but you might want to have them over to your house. You might want to go rollerblading. You might want to get on your bikes. You might want to go do, you, you can do all, you can do stuff. It doesn't mean you have to ban that friendship, right? but what's within your circle of control is to have those kids over. And then, you, you know, that, that kind of thing with unrelenting gifting uh, in-laws, and the naughty uncle syndrome. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
again, you might want to have them over to your place a lot rather than sending the kids over. But look, even if you send them to, to, to grandma and grandpa's and they get, you know, the television is just on continually or maybe two or three televisions are on in all the different rooms. Yeah. It can be extreme and you see these very, very violent images of war around the world and you just don't want your four-year-old to see that. I, I, yeah. Honestly, I think that crosses a line and our first loyalty is to our kids and not to our parents. Yeah. Really, I hope that doesn't sound harsh, but it, our first loyalty is to our kids. They've got a lot longer to live in this world than our parents. Yeah. But let's say it's borderline. The screens are on all the time. There's just copious amounts of really bad food. And they don't believe, let's say your child is very sensitive to gluten, but they don't believe in that. I mean, I don't, some parents yeah. say to me, what is not to believe? But anyway, <laughs> they don't believe in it. So they feed them all this stuff and you, you know you're going to pick up the tab for that. For sure. the next three, four, five days. Yeah. Part of the sphere of control and the sphere of concern is, you know, in order to have a relationship with an uncle or a, or a grandma and grandpa, provided it doesn't cross the crazy line, yeah. like big red line, I think it's worth them having a bit of sugar. I think it's worth them seeing some screens if it's not just crossing a line. Yeah. It's because you can't stop it. You can talk to your parents about it. But they, if they don't get it, and hopefully they will, if you don't pontificate, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, hopefully they'll be okay. But if they're not, what's within your circle of control is you think, okay, they're going to my dad and mums. I know the rest of this week is going to be really hard. Mm. We're going to come home early because they're going to be grumpy. They're yeah. going not just for a day or two. It's going to be about a three day. It's usually about a three day reset after being after kids visit groovy grandparents, if the grandparents trying to be groovy. Yeah. And um, we're going on the download for three days. We're doing lots of board games at home. We're snuggling in. Some parents have said to me, we even keep the kids apart a little bit because they really go at each other. Yeah. They're coming back from grandparents. They're just not at their best at all. So you basically make a plan and you reset them. And by Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they're good. And so... I, I think it's worth it's worth it, kinda, unless it crosses a big bright red line. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And yeah, you've you've gotta you've gotta have the family in your life too and yeah, figure out what is that red line, I guess, for you. Uh, I know our time is is running short here. There was one other thing that I wanted to ask about. We've been talking a lot about simplicity parenting, but there is this other um, aspect to your work, uh, which is integrative student support and really looking at kind of a whole child's being as opposed to a specific diagnosis. And I wonder if you'd explain a little more about that, because I, I do feel like we're in a culture now of wanting to label kids as early as possible and kind of pigeonhole them sometimes in school because of, of a certain diagnosis, um, and, and you're one of the people resisting that. So could you explain to me sort of your approach? Yeah, in a nutshell, you know, after a lot of studies and a lot of, you know, studies that I've been the author of and, and such, basically is that, look, all kids are quirky. They all yeah. have these funny little quirks that make them so lovable and so infuriating, you know, <laughs> but they're just their little quirks. They might be a busy child. 
They might be a quieter, more sensitive child. They might be a, a child that likes everything in order. It's a weird order because it looks like a heck of a mess to me, but they know where every single thing is. Yeah. You know, and that's their little quirk. It might be a child who's a fiery one, you know, that they're quite a fiery and feisty and and yeah, they came out the birth canal rolling up their sleeves kind of thing. <laughs> you know, other kids are this their quirk is they're more easygoing, other and so on and so on. All kids have got their quirk. But when life is booming and buzzing and moving too fast, and it is for so many kids now, we've normalized it, but it's way too much. It's way overwhelming. It's filling their little cups and it's just spilling on over. What starts happening is that that quirk becomes what I call an emotional fever or a soul mm. fever, yeah. a small S soul, not the religious one, but the a soul, an inner fever. And that quirk, if it's a if it's a feisty one, starts to become controlling, and you know may even become like highly agitated, yeah. and really antisocial. Or if it's a if it's a child who's a movement child, they just love to move, and they define themselves through movement. And they just hop and go skip children. They're always doing things. You just love it, like little little butterfly kids, little little papillons. Yeah. But if life is stressing them, they slide along a spectrum and become agitated. And they're the kids that get called hyperactive, you know, ADHD. Yeah. Or a child who just likes things orderly. But when life is stressing them out and it's moving too fast, that's the child who'll slide along a spectrum and get called OCD, yeah. obsessive compulsive disorder. There's no shortage of Ds, ODD, PDD, OCD, ACD, you know. Yeah. But this, the, the startling thing, and this is after hundreds of thousands of kids now. No kidding, I'm not exaggerating. That these little podcasts that I do are downloaded over a million times. You know, this, like, this is a serious group of people who are questioning this now. Yeah. When we add simplicity to children's lives and we start to dial it back, and that, that tap that is pouring into the vessel of our children's lives, of, the, of all that we're pouring in on a daily basis... Like there's a decision to make. Do we want to mop up pathological spillage, you know, ODD, ADD, OCD, do we, and so on and so on. Do we want to keep mopping that up or do we want to turn down the tap? Yeah. And now more and more and more parents are turning down the tap. And then what we see is that our kids go back to being quirky again and so many Parents have said to me, I feel like I've got my, my little boy back. I feel like yeah. I've got my teenage girl back. I feel like they're back. But here's the thing, Heath, that is thrilling, is that the very same thing that potentially an inflamed quirk is a disorder, yeah. a calmed quirk is their gift. Mm. That's their gift. Yeah. With a feisty child... Who, who was getting into all kinds of trouble at school. No one wanted to be his friend. He was so over-controlling of games. He, she, or they were so over-controlling of the games. Now, they're fun to play with. They, they're, just, they're just out-of-the-box thinkers, and they, and they don't try and control the game anymore at all. They just want it to be the funnerest it can be. Yeah. I love living in the United States. You guys just invent words. <laughs> funnerest. But it, it, to me, it's it reminds me of the thought of like you could go to your doctor and be diagnosed with high blood pressure or you know something like that, and you could be offered a pill and take that for the rest of your life, or you could make some dietary changes and all of a sudden 
you know, those markers go down and you're back to a healthy place. It's, it's the same with children and, and behavior and things. Yeah. It's the same, you know, and the, the child who was just very sensitive and was diagnosed with depression, that's the child when we simplify and balance their life, that's the child who's just a dear friend and is just always there, quietly helping, working things out. On one hand, we've got the amygdala and the fight-or-flight response, and on the other, we've got the empathy and, frankly, the resilient response. If we raise children simply, we're raising a resilient kid. It doesn't mean the issues won't come up, and it doesn't mean behavior won't come up, but it's much, much more malleable. And you know, there's this saying in another one of the books I, I, I wrote that I, in my vanity, I think I invented, you know, you think you invent things and you just haven't. Um, but that I, I write this statement uh, that I've never met a disobedient child in my life, never met a disobedient child in my life. I've yeah. only ever met a disoriented child. I simply don't believe in disobedience. And I was a school counselor yeah. For 25 years, I've met some right little rotters, I can tell you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But they're disoriented. And what is often disorienting them is the pace of life. And what's coming at them is causing a, a sympathetic uh, a, a nervous system overload. And it's, and it's cascading into this fight-or-flight response. Yeah. Calm life down at school for them. Calm life down at home and do whatever we can. Kind of just whatever is doable. I mean, doesn't, you know, just whatever little steps that can be taken. Right. And that child now um, is just a, a different kid. Yeah. And I think, kind of to wrap up everything you're saying, there's the benefit, like, as parents, we want to do that for our children and give them the best advantages that we can through simplicity. But it comes back to us as parents too, that like having a more established rhythm, having a cleaner house, having less things makes us stronger people too. It, it benefits everybody in the family. Yeah. And that's the beautiful part about it actually, because the um, we kind of almost do anything for our kids. And yeah. if we listen to our gut brain, which is where most of our intelligence is, yeah. if we listen to our gut brain and we do simplify and balance um, and we do dial it back, then we can have big, exciting times, absolutely, because then we've got a place to reset to. Yeah. And because we'll do anything for our kids, it often, and I've heard this now so many times, I, 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 tr- I very much trust it, is that when parents do dial it back and simplify and balance, their own life gets a lot better. Yeah. Their own work performance increases. I've heard that one so many times. Parents have said to me, you know, our coworkers have said, wow, you're firing on all eight cylinders. What's going on? Yeah. You know, but he's like, like full circle back to the start of our conversation, just as we close, you mentioned that, hey, at 725, it's time to, right? Yeah. yeah. And then, the, and the kids are used to that. So, and, and so they start maybe with a little bit of a reminder, a little bit of help, sometimes easier, sometimes harder, but more or less, you've got your, you've got your pathway built for that. Yep. That means that when you come to sit at your desk, you haven't dealt with, with, a, with a, a family war zone of getting yeah. the kids out the door. 
right. and you're in much, much better shape to do creative work. All right, Kim John Payne there. What I love about what he's saying is it's so similar to so many things I've heard from other guests. He comes at it from a childhood perspective and a parenting perspective. But it's so much of what Sarah Suzanko was talking about when she was here as well. And I've found in my own life that what he's saying works. I'm not all the way there yet. I'm not perfect. There's still a lot of things that I need to get rid of, especially of my own. But I'm aware of it. I'm trying to take the steps towards it. And I'm seeing the positive impacts in my family's life. Kim's book is Simplicity Parenting, Using the Extraordinary Power of Less to Raise Calmer, Happier, and More Secure Kids. And his podcast is Simplicity Parenting. Go check that out. Go listen to that. Again, it is super digestible, super easy to fit into a busy day. And it just, it's a nice little reset to say, oh yeah, where am I? Checking in. Am I doing the things I'm supposed to? Am I making progress towards my goals? It's great stuff. As a reminder, my newsletter comes out twice a week, every Wednesday and every Sunday. If you're not already on the list, go to heathrasella.com slash newsletter, sign up there for free, and you'll also get alerted to every podcast episode. And if you wouldn't mind, leave a little five-star review, leave a notice in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. I really appreciate it. I'm at Heath Rosella on social media, and I will talk to you soon. Stay safe, everybody.